Welcome to Behind the Movement. I am Kyle Fincham. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I have a really wonderful conversation to share with you today that I had with my friend Mercedes Palmeyer. Before I get to it, though, I just want to remind you that if you're uh, picking up what I'm putting down, enjoying what I'm putting out there, I invite you to join the Movement Brooklyn online community. Um, it's our virtual platform that is uh, filled with uh, 120 plus hours of classes and content and every week I teach a live class on there and hold office hours to support people's practice and the class recordings are always available and we do monthly focuses and books and suggestions to go with the focus. For instance, this month we're, we're focusing on play. Um, so yeah, we have a lot going on. It's also a place for conversation. There's a, a live feed on there, kind of like Facebook, so everybody can jump in and, and share and communicate and, and kind of wonder about things together as opposed to it just being a, a one-way conversation. So like I said, I invite you to, to join. Um, if it's something you're interested in, you can go to movementbrooklyn.com or you can go to members.movementbrooklyn.com to uh, sign up for that. Um, as I said, this month we're, we're focusing on play, and I put out a uh, kind of a challenge to everybody to try to climb something every day for the month. Um, everybody's welcome to participate, and I'd love to, to see some videos. Some people have shared them on, on social media and stuff of them climbing things. And uh, it's been really fun. It doesn't have to be the hardest climb. You don't need to climb a, a rock face or um, a giant tree. You can climb yourself across the floor or climb yourself on and off the couch or a fence or a chair. Yeah, just find interesting, weird, playful ways of, uh, of climbing things. So yeah, if, if, uh, if you're into it, send me some videos. Let me know how it goes or just uh, send me a message with your stories. Um, if you want to stay connected, please uh, follow me on Instagram. It's at Kyle Grit. And you can also follow Movement Brooklyn on Instagram, and that's just at Movement Brooklyn. And if you're uh, enjoying listening to the podcast, uh, I'd love it if you would write a review and give a, uh, a rating on whatever platform you're listening to uh, the podcast on. So thank you so much. Now... Let's get to uh, my conversation with Mercedes, uh, who, as I said, is a friend of mine. She and I connected in 2016 in Thailand at Movement Camp, and uh, you know we 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 realized there that we were like kindred spirits, and we were we were friends, and it was one of those situations where you like meet somebody, and like the conversation starts in the middle, even though you're just uh, meeting them for the first time. And uh, we got to see each other again in 2019, also uh, at Movement Camp. And uh, again, it's like we just kind of picked up where we left off. So uh, I'm really excited to uh, get to share this conversation that I had with her here with you guys. Um, Mercedes is a strength and conditioning coach. She's focused on helping climbers achieve their best strength, flexibility, uh, and nutrition to climb harder. She is the author of two books, uh, the award-winning Peak Nutrition and 
the self-published Simple Strength. She owns her own online training business, Modus Athletica, and holds a master's in human movement. Um, if you are interested in her books, you can uh, get them through her website, and they're also available at Amazon. Um, her Instagram handle is Modus Athletica. And if you just look up Mercedes Palmeyer on YouTube, you can find her YouTube channel. And in just three days, today's I'm recording this here on the 15th, on the 18th, she's hosting a free flexibility master class um, where she'll go in depth on how to get flexible as an adult. And you can uh, get the information for that at modusathletica.com. I think I got everything there. So, with all that said, uh, enjoy this conversation with Mercedes Palmeyer. My goal is to really help develop the climbing industry because it's it's growing at a very quick rate, and it this in 2020 was supposed to be the first time that climbing was going to be in the Olympics. So it was an exhibition sport. Um, so like the the rapid rate of the sport is like so exciting, but I think some of the training is a little bit behind. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I just want to be part of like helping the sport along. And so like my take, because I have such like a deep like, practice in like movement and, and lifting um, and strength and conditioning, you know, like, so I feel like I have a unique perspective on it. So what I wanted to do originally was to just like, let's put out some like really awesome climbing programs for training. Um, and I put out one program, but I didn't know much about marketing, honestly. Like I just like knew nothing. And so I just kind of put this thing out there and it kind of like worked. It's the Midnight Lightning program, um, kind of more of like an intermediate climbing climbers program that has a little bit of movement, some flexibility and then climbing. Um, but then COVID happened and I was like, I can't really do climbing anymore because at least like not for the foreseeable future because climbing gyms keep closing, opening, closing, opening. Um, I was like, well, what's the one thing that climbers need, but we just don't have on the market yet. And that's flexibility. And I am like kind of obsessed about flexibility right now. Um, Cause I've never focused on it ever. Like it's always been like do weighted, you know, like the progressive loaded stretching and things like that, but it was always like a supplement. It was never a focus. Um, so it kind of just happened. I wasn't planning on this being the thing that I was going to focus on for the next few months, but it turned out to be the thing that people wanted or at least felt like they needed. One of these like COVID silver linings where it's like, yeah. everybody's like, I hate using the word. Like I don't I actually, I, this may be the first time I've ever used it, mm. but it's like the pivoting, right? Yes. Like COVID makes everybody kind of like switch gears a little bit. And yeah. for a lot of people, it's like, oh, this like miraculous discovery. Yes. Yeah. So what, what does like, you said that like the climbing programming, like mm -hmm. for strength and, and mobility is kind of like behind the times. Like yeah. Currently, like what, like what would climbers be doing to supplement their climbing right now? Like previously they, or now, if they do yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, so before, so now we have a couple really great coaches that are saying some really awesome things. 
but in general, like the, the thought was, Hey, just climb more and you'll be better at climbing. Just go climb. Like you shouldn't be wasting your time. Don't, don't touch a weight. You know, you didn't, you don't need to like do any kind of stretching. You don't need to warm up, like just go and climb and climb, you know, in your comfort zone, sometimes really hard, maybe hard all the time. And what, what we see is just like most people either get injured really quickly or they don't make any progress because they just like, they have no idea of like how to structure their climbing sessions, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's like the old school is just go climb and go climb outside, Mm -hmm. you know? And so like it is changing. We're starting to see it because it's Olympic sport now. So I would say just in the last year, it has changed quite a bit. So what, so what is it looking like now? And like, what is like the direction that you're trying to take it in, or at least your approach to like training for it? Yeah. So I guess I look at it, I like to look at the best in the sport. So when you look at them, you see that they have incredible finger strength, they have incredible pulling strength, and they have incredible flexibility. Like those are like, to me, like very big standout things. And so when you train for climbing, now we can say, okay, before we used to kind of say, don't go on the hangboard, which is the tool that we use to build finger strength. Mm -hmm. That board before was like, you should never touch the hangboard if you don't climb a certain grade. But now we're seeing like, okay, we can actually get beginners on this hangboard and start to develop this very crucial component of climbing, which is grip and finger strength. And so for me, like that is a huge component of training most of my clients is like, we're going to get you on the hangboard. We're also going to get you into like flexibility and then structured climbing drills. So it's like working on technique, working on energy systems. Yeah. So I'd say it's like more focused, shorter sessions. Like we're trying to get people to climb a little bit less, but higher frequency. Hmm. I, I, after I watched uh, Free Solo, which I'm sure is like what has like blown up like the climbing world, right? That too, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I watched it and I somehow like came upon like Alex Honnold's like hanging routine, and I'm not sure if it was something that someone made up and they're like this is what he does or yeah whatever, but I, it was like an hour long hanging routine like going through all the different grips and different amounts of time and like one arm and all the things. And yeah, it hadn't even occurred to me like all the different directions to, to, to training that. Yes. And there's even like single finger training, you know, like some folks will, they're strong enough to be able to hang from one finger. And there's even like climbs out there that you have to do that require just like one figure pockets like over and over again. And when you're at that level, you do have to really train for that because like the fingers can't tolerate that kind of load. Do you feel like the people who are like, like closer to like, not, I shouldn't say like the top of the game, but they're like the more seasoned climbers who already have like pretty good grip strength that like, that it is the mobility thing that becomes like a a more limiting factor. Yeah. So actually I know like a lot of, especially like guys who can climb really hard, but they just cannot get their legs 
in the right position to make the move more efficient. So they rely heavily on their finger strength and their their pulling strength or power mm-hmm. to be able to make these moves. Um, and yeah, so like to me, that is kind of like the the glaring weakness in a lot of strong climbers is mm. their ability to like go really wide with their legs or bring the leg up super high to make these moves. Right. Because yeah. like doing a whole climb with your upper body is really effortful. Yes. Right. And I feel like, like, I feel like I see a lot of dudes, like when I've been in climbing gyms that like, that's what it starts to look like when it's like, yeah. it should be, maybe is it more legs or is it like a, a balance? Yeah. Like even when you, like, if you see someone use their legs properly, you can just see like that they're in balance the whole mm-hmm. time. And you can see that the, the feet and the toes are actually pulling on the foothold themselves rather than just like being placed there just for balance. They're actually doing something. It's using the hamstring as a bicep to pull your body in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do have to train that. Like, I don't think that that always comes naturally. You know, like I think for some of the top climbers, they, they started when they were kids. So that becomes natural, but for adults who learn climbing, um, that is not very natural and they have to train, they have to train that pulling technique and that mobility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you still do a lot of climbing yourself or is it mostly built around like, uh, like working with, with other people on their climbing? Yeah. I, so when I was working at the gyms, I hardly climbed. I basically had, I feel like I had quit climbing. I would climb once in a while because I was so focused on other things. I was focused on my career. But when I quit the gym and I was like, I'm going to do this on my own. I fully believe in, you know, you have to practice what you preach. Like I, it just doesn't feel genuine to me and it doesn't align with my values if I'm not personally pushing myself super hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So now I'm, I, I, I climb at least three days a week. So that's, what I do. And then I do some of the, the hanging stuff and I supplement with lifting and flexibility. Right. So everything you're putting out there, you do yourself. hundred percent. Yes. That's good. That's yeah. admirable. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I don't know if this works, but I have to, so I have to try it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and make sure that if I can tolerate it and troubleshoot, then, then I can help other people much better because I have that understanding. Was there ever a time where you were competing in climbing or were you always just like a high level, like practitioner hobbyist? Yeah, I did compete. Um, it was like in the first couple of years of me being at this higher level, but at the time there weren't as many women competing. Um, so like there was like a group of us women who were, I should say, like I was the oldest. Uh, most of them were like girls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they were very young and so strong. Um, I forget her name, but so in, there was a time where I was going to a climbing gym regularly for some like movement programming. Yeah. And it was in Queens in New York. And there's like a famous young girl who was climbing at the gym. I forget her name, but she's super famous. And she was young. She, she was, Ashima. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know who she was. And her yeah. dad would be there kind of like massaging her shoulders and like patting her back and stuff. And then all these like adults, these like grown people like would gather around and watch her. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? We're like ah. watching like a 12 year old climb. And someone had yes. to explain to me. I had no idea. Yes. Mm-hmm. She is 
probably like at the time like probably the strongest climber like even stronger than some of the guys you know wow uh she's incredible yeah right wow um, well, sorry to interrupt go ahead i want to oh, hear no, oh no all good I, yeah. I, I so like really there was like maybe like 50 women we were, were competing every year and so i competed three three years in a row and i did decently well um you know i i made it through qualifier round one and then you know that that's about as far as i got so it's the national competition so i was able to get through the first round all three years so wow. i was like pretty stoked about that i'm like i'm like the one of the only older people who started when climbing when i was like 23 I'm like that's cool like all of these girls have been climbing since they were super young and but it was cool because when you compete next to them and it was very different to tennis because like i have that huge tennis background i was semi-pro in tennis but you don't have friends in tennis you mm -hmm. know like there it's like oh you know we're competitors and we can't be friends like don't even look at me <laughs> yeah. but in climbing it was like hey i can climb right next to this girl and she is cheering for me when when she's resting I'm yeah like, this is beautiful i love this sport you know well you know it's almost like uh it's almost as if because like tennis was like all and this is just the way i'm like looking at it like you know like these types of sports like the tennises or baseballs or footballs it's like they were built around the idea of like winning and losing like that was the game right yeah. whereas like these counterculture type activity sports there wasn't the competition aspect like it was just like an activity yeah and like a culture developed around that and then the like sport aspects kind of like came out of the culture right as opposed to like the culture being around the competition yes i think i'm saying that right no that's so that that's absolutely. what that's what i see when you when you talk about that yeah yeah and i think like especially with climbing people are usually just very stoked to see <laughs> you trying really hard and succeeding you know yeah people get very excited and that's like really really cool and that was just like something i never really experienced in tennis mm -hmm. it was like a lot of the time is like oh you're doing well well that sucks for me you know right. and yeah we don't really see that yeah again i think that that's like another thing of like counterculture things i realize like you know there's certain like unwritten rules like you know surfing for instance like people in certain surf spots like you shouldn't if you're not a local or probably with skateboarding and, and maybe in climbing as well but like overall i think there's like this respect for the fact that like everybody is willing to accept failure to like do this thing and there's like a respect i used to feel that doing jujitsu i haven't gotten to do jujitsu through covid but like that was a part of the jujitsu culture it was like yeah there are certain little things but for the most part there's like this like I think there's like a respect between like everybody being like, Hey, you're willing to get out here and like risk getting choked. And yeah. if you get choked, everybody's like, Hey, good job. Let's do yeah. it again. Yeah. You know? And I think it, it seems similar. I think that I, I find it in that like counterculture world. Yeah. And I, I think what's really interesting about like, yeah, you know, like climbing or like skateboarding, there's always a new upper limit. Like when someone climbing the upper limit right now for bouldering, which I think is V, 17 i feel like i need to fact check that but let's say like for sure it's v16 mm -hmm. but i know that people are working on harder things and the goal is just to always get a climb a little bit harder let's see if we can push that ceiling and 
that's really cool to me. And when you have like people working together, you're able to push that ceiling faster, you know? And I think that's how these sports are accelerating kind of like pretty quickly, like, especially like with base jumping and things like that, like you're, you're seeing like huge leaps in ability. I got that. I got that impression too. I was talking to somebody who here, this guy, Alex, who owns this place called the block, which is a, a, a dance studio here they have lots of different dance going on, but he teaches break dancing and I was chatting with him. And again, break dancing is going to be in the Olympics and similar thing. I was like, Oh man, like, I hope you're ready because like once it's in the Olympics, your school is probably going to like blow up if it's not already crazy busy. But again, it was kind of a similar conversation where he was talking about how like people continue to like add to it and like add to the culture, add to the sport. And like, it's like, it's not done growing. Like there's still things that are like being discovered and, and learned. That was the impression I got from the conversation. Yeah. Um, and I dig that, you know, yeah. and I don't yeah. know enough about things like tennis, but I'm like, or, or, or traditional sports, but I'm like, I, I guess I understand people can get stronger and they can get faster and everything, but I'm like, you know, how much is it, continuing to evolve, you know, within the boundaries of, of that game. Yeah. And I think that that is true. Like with tennis, there is a very fixed boundary. It's like, here's the lines, here's the net. And there's also like kind of like parameters around the equipment that you use as well, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And, you know, with climbing, I think because the technology is getting a little bit better, like climbing shoes are getting a little bit better, a little stickier, Mm. um, where we've got better training tools. So we're able to really push the sport pretty quick. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure at some point we're going to hit like a plateau, but it's, it's exciting though. Right now it's just like, you can see the sport just really exploding. I want to backtrack a little bit because I want, I do want to hear about like your tennis life. Yeah. I actually feel like in the time that we spent together at the movement camps, like I don't, maybe you mentioned it like once or twice, but I don't think we like ever got into it. And I'm like pretty interested because you said you were like, like one of the top ranked tennis players. I was semi-pro. Yeah. So I'm not, yeah. I mean, I'd never made it. Like I was never, I think I was like 700 in the world. I think that's where I got. Yeah. Well, that should, that's ranking. Well, that should be the first thing that's written on your website. Above <laughs> everything else, you should be like, at one point, ranked 700 in yeah. the world in yes, tennis. That's yeah. me. <laughs> so, was that like your entire childhood then? Yeah. I started climbing, I started playing tennis when I was about 12 ish, mm-hmm. 12, 13. So, I was actually still late to the game. Mm-hmm. I came in like I really liked it. I enjoyed it. I was a basketball player and a soccer player as well. And I did gymnastics. So I was like a crazy kid. I just needed to do all of these things. Um, but somehow tennis was like, okay, I think this is the thing I want to do because my older brother was really good at tennis. And I think I just wanted to beat him. I think mm-hmm. psychologically, I was like, oh, I'm going to be as good as my brother. Um, so I stuck with it. And then like when I was, uh, 17 that's basically when you graduate high school is mm-hmm. you're you're about 17 years old and you kind of have a choice at that point you either so I was in Australia I was I grew up in Australia and you either go to university or you go pro like you kind of don't have a lot of in between there's no clubs or anything that you could play for um, and the universities don't have the same athletic departments that they do like here in the u.s um 
And I was nowhere near ready to play pro when I was done with high school. Um, so the next best thing was like, oh, in the U.S., you can play college. So I kind of had that in my mind. I think when I was about 15, I said, that's what I want to do. I want to go to the U.S. and play college tennis. So is that what got you into a college in the United States? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you, so I mean, I remember being in college and like seeing like the college athletes, like practicing, like, was it like a pretty like serious grind? Yeah. So I got recruited to a D1 school. Mm -hmm. So I played D1 for two seasons and it is, it's brutal. I mean, like you do five o'clock lifting sessions, 5 a.m., you go to class. I would fall asleep in many of my classes because I was just like so tired. And then you would have practice every evening, like from like five to eight o'clock. You're just like practicing every day. Um, and so you're probably like, I think, you know, at that time, you're probably playing 15 to 20 hours, mm -hmm. you know, playing and lifting. Mm -hmm. um, it is brutal. I don't even remember how I remembered anything in college. Um, <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure I was asleep for half of it. Um, but yeah, it was very cool experience though. Yeah. I mean, it's also like, I mean, of all the sports to me, I, I, I think it's such a great sport. There's like so many like tools in there that like transcend that sport, you know, yeah. just from like footwork and like different like coordinations and things like that. Like, yeah. You know, I imagine that like you you can probably tip th toe through a lot of different worlds pretty comfortably from a lot of the tools from like from a sport like tennis. Yes, actually, and it wasn't until I started movement training mm -hmm. that I didn't realize how much of that like the the tennis techniques and the footwork techniques and those drills how much that gave to my body. Like, it's mm -hmm. like I downloaded all of this software. I was like, wow, I actually have an ability to move, which mm -hmm. is really cool. But I didn't know that at the time. I'm like, oh, I'm just a tennis player, whatever, you know? And when, then when you start to go into other things like movement and like movement camp, I was like, oh, I'm actually like, I can actually do some of this stuff. Like, mm -hmm. It's still really hard, um, but it feels like my body has some sort of understanding yeah. Um, so that was really cool. And I, I didn't really realize that until movement culture. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially, I mean, if you like kind of like started going into the world of climbing, I have to imagine where it's like, there's not as much of like that, like nimbleness on your feet and like moving in space. Then all of a sudden yeah, you're like back into a world where you're like dancing or, or doing some sort of tactical games. You're like, Oh, like I move yeah. well on my feet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually something I really miss about tennis and movement. Like I don't uh, really get to focus on like jumping or agility or like f quick, fast movements with my feet. Cause it, in terms of like climbing, you don't really need that. So I'm not spending a lot of time there doing it anymore, but yeah. just something like in my body that I can feel that I miss. Mm. So yeah. do you ever like kind of like step away and like integrate those things in just for like playfulness or anything? Yeah, it's like in the summers because like because we're in Seattle, uh, the rest of the year I don't really spend just hanging out outside. But in the summer, uh, because I have more time 
during the day to spend outside I'll the summer I was doing a lot of agility stuff and that felt so cool it was so fun I'm like mm-hmm. oh, I should really do this more often um and like I was I'm finally getting the urge to actually go back to tennis I'm like I think I'm ready to like go back on the court which is cool because I had burnt out I you know after trying at the semi-pro level and getting beat by teenagers I was like okay I'm, I think I'm done um, yeah that's yeah. A, that's a humbling experience I mean it's it's yeah. not the same but it's kind of the same I remember like doing jujitsu and the and getting like subbed by like a 13 year old <laughs> was like super humbling yeah I was like well right like, yeah this yeah everybody needs to have this experience yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah, so, yeah. You, so then how long has it been since you played tennis shoot I think the last time I played a match I think I was like 24 okay yeah so it's been 13 years wow oh shit yeah oh well that's fun <laughs> that, i'm you know though i feel like you'll walk out there and it'll be like nothing and anybody that you would play against now you'd like you would feel fine yeah like we'll see we'll see and you know the stepping back a- away from it i almost feel like i have a better head for the mm-hmm. game now mm-hmm. like maybe my physical my physicality isn't there but I think maybe the mental side, I'd be able to do a lot better because I was kind of a basket case mm-hmm. when I was younger on the tennis court. But yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe it'll be you and Serena 2022. That's right. <laughs> the major that would comeback. Be, that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then, so when did you, and how did you discover like movement? And, and why were you like, oh, like I need to invest some time in this coming from like the backgrounds mm-hmm. you come from who like, it's not like somebody who has like no physical background who's like, oh my God, like this is fascinating or this is really cool. The things that these people are doing, or it's really heady. I'm into that. But like, yeah. you're coming from all these like physical domains and you're like, oh, this is something I should invest some time in. Like, why was that? Yeah. So it was when I was in Denver. So I, I had lived in Denver for 10 years and I was that's where I went like semi-pro with tennis. I hired a coach to get me ready for, I was actually training for the, the Olympic trials and uh, he had me do some gymnastic ring stuff, routines, mm-hmm. um, very basic. Like I could hardly actually do a pull-up at the time. Like I was just barely starting to climb. Um, and this is, so this was Olympic trials for, for tennis. tennis. Got yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the intersection of tennis and climbing. Mm-hmm. and a little bit of movement they all kind of like converged at this point um but he's like oh you should try some of this gymnastic stuff and I was like whoa this is really cool like um and so when I left Denver I got a job offer at a climbing gym to help start their fitness program so it was like almost like nine nine years ago now when I made the transition and I was like oh I'm kind of a, a figure now of uh training and climbing I want the best for climbers like now I'm like I'm really deep in research I want to see what the best is and this gymnastics training for climbers seems to be a really nice way to train for climbers and so I was just looking up like gymnastic training tools and like programs and I stumbled upon 
uh, GMB mm-hmm. um, gold medal bodies. And I think they were kind of my gateway into movement because they had a really cool rings program that I started doing. And then they had this like locomotion thing. And I was like, what is this? And like started doing like, they have like their three basic movements, which is like the bear, the monkey and the frogger. And it was really cool. I was like, I've never done anything like this before. And somehow, and I don't remember how the, the switch happened, but I stumbled upon Ido's YouTube videos, all, all the floor, the Florio work. I'm like, oh, this is the stuff that I want to do. Like, mm-hmm. I can see how like the GMB stuff is like a really nice, like beginner stuff, but this is where I want to go. This is how you can truly manipulate your body to your best potential. And I think I was just like in awe of like his ability and you could see that he did rings training and handstand training and things like that. And I was like, well, if this is like bodyweight training kind of like at its max for movement culture, I bet I could pull and learn from this to then help climbers best develop their bodies because it's also a bodyweight sport. Um, so that's how I got into movement. And so that was like, yeah, nine-ish years ago. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And at that time, like, cause you had just kind of started climbing, like were you already kind of integrating those things into your practice or were you really still like focused on climbing? I was still very like before I was, so I had just finished up my competition climbing when I moved to Seattle and I started doing these things. So at that point I transitioned because I was working so much, I stopped really climbing as much. And I did more of the research and um, I focused more on movement and like trying to get my handstand and figuring out how to do like a true rings routine. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I would say like at that point I had switched it a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, decreased my climbing for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, 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 I see it. It's almost like all these sports like benefit so much from just like some sort of balance with like a generalist practice. Yeah. Almost as if like everybody almost like skips that piece and wants to go straight to being like specialist, whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's like so much intelligence that you develop through like the, the generalist piece, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and, and yeah. it's almost like the younger and younger age groups are getting like sucked into like specialist things or whether it's tennis or even now climbing or, yeah. or the break dancing. It's like people are immediately being like at young age being like, Oh, well let's, you're going to do this thing and you're only going to do that thing or, or, you know, giving the space to do that where it's like, there's so much of that, like that, that uh, like innate intelligence that we're like not feeding by like doing a lot of different things. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think the physical preparation is what we're missing a Mm. lot of the time. And Mm -hmm. like, even I would say like, that is a huge component that I would really like to still work on for climbers is like, what is the best general physical preparation for climbers that includes lifting, that includes some sort of gymnastics and some movement training so that they don't get injured. And that's like, when they specify that's when they have these long-term injuries and yeah yeah it's unfortunate 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, they they've talked a lot about it. Like, I mean, specialization is like where there's there's a lot more injury, and the problem is now too, right? Is that like we've turned fitness into a specialization, like, or I would even go so far as sometimes to say like we've turned generalist fitness into mm-hmm. its own specialization. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? How it's mm-hmm. like, you know, people will be like something like CrossFit, for instance, that's supposed to be like you know generalist. Um, functional right. movement. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, then someone just does that. Yes. And it's still just doing the same movements over and over, even though it's a larger body of movements. Yes. And then there's, you know, more potential for injury because as my wife, Alexa will say, she's, they're like, you're, you're never rotating the tires. You're still just yeah. like, rub, you know, wearing down the inside. Yeah. That's a great yeah. way to put it. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, uh, because people get, you know, focused on the, on the one thing and, and forget that there's just so much that we're, we have like the potential to do. Yeah. And like, you know, to balance out those specializations, there's that, you know, exploring all the things that we're not doing helps kind of like bend the paperclip in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, you know, a lot of the time, I think at least what I've seen from climbers when I introduce new stuff to their programs, they're like, Oh, I suck at this. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't want to do this. I'd rather just go climb. Like, oh, yes, this is where the learning happens. And this is how your body continues to evolve is when things are challenging and they're new. And it's not always about pushing the limit like every time. And like, you don't always have to be your absolute best in a thing. You can go double in some of these things. And that will make the thing that you're trying to specialize in even better. You, you but do you, and, and I feel like you're, you're kind of saying it, that like people almost want to see exactly how the thing that you're teaching them is going to apply to climbing or pick the sport as opposed to being like, I'm going to show you things that are just going to give you opportunities to learn. And yeah. I don't actually know what you're going to learn. Like, the, I'm just going to kind of facilitate opportunities for you to like feed your intelligence. And I don't know what you're going to learn, but I can tell you that learning more will benefit everything. And that's like not enough. They want it to be like tangible. They're like, no, no, no. The grip, I understand. If I improve my grip, my climbing will improve. But it, the idea that it's like, even if you're just like, well, if we play more games and you do more creative playful things that like you, you develop more problem solving skills or create creative skills. And when you're climbing, who knows, it may develop how you see routes differently or anything. It's not as like, you can't put your hands on it in the same way. And I think that like, I don't know, maybe it's a Western thing, but I haven't lived anywhere else than the West. <laughs> but I feel like there, it, like everything needs to be super like linear and they need to like see the progressions as opposed to it being kind of like, well, I just know that if we continue to like play and do things that like we like feed ourselves. Yes. Yes. I think that's a hundred percent true. Like I feel like people always ask me, well, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Which is fine. Like I want people to question that, but it almost comes from a place of like, well, is it worth it for me to do this thing? If it's not going to 100% transfer over Mm -hmm. to that. And it, it almost feels like, like maybe they want to do it, but it feels like maybe 
they don't have enough time. So it's like, well, I don't have time. I want to get better at this thing. So I might as well just do this thing rather than these other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's kind of a big challenge to be like, you know, there's no rush. Like you're, you're still going to get better. Just like trust the process. Yeah. But that's hard to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine how like the battle there must be be sometimes with people who are like trying to specialize in something because I just know it from dealing with like regular people who are like oh well how is this going to make me x y or z and I'm like I don't really know but I just know that like the more opportunities we have to like surprise ourselves like that's how we're we're gonna learn and I think yeah. that learning isn't always being taught like yeah. you know the, that's the magic is like if I can give you opportunities to learn that's probably more valuable than like me teaching you things yeah you know like i could teach you a skill but like you need to go out and like climb trails and slip and deal with like all the odds and ends of like the crookedness of life to feed that thing that like i just can't teach you yeah but i can like facilitate that and everything kind of gets like better from that yeah. you know like i have a friend who climbs and he's a great climber but he's a hobbyist but he's a great climber and we went for a hike and we were coming down a hill over here and it was like i don't know if you maybe it's not scrambling but it was like there was like a lot of rocks going downhill and you had to be kind of like mountain goat ish to move down it in like a nimble way and when i watched him he was like dancing down these rocks and like most people might look at that and be like well what does that have to do with like how well he climbs and i'm like it's it's not a mind body thing it's the whole thing functioning in this like really beautiful harmonic way that he can like move it from climbing a a mountain or climbing a cliff uh, or bouldering to this trail. And then I'm sure if we went and did, went dancing or something, it all kind of starts to like intertwine. Yes, Yes. yes. And that's like really interesting. Actually, like the dance component, like I feel like now so like more and more I'm starting to see climbers being a little bit more open to this thought of like oh because climbing is kind of like this dance on the wall maybe if I do a little bit of dancing off the wall that would actually help yeah yes yeah absolutely yeah I feel like I've talked about this on the on this podcast probably like 10 times but I feel like it's actually very fitting to just bring it back up um the, the, the two documentaries that I just think are so good because the first one is In Search of Greatness, which I don't know if you've watched. And it's about like Wayne Gretzky and Pele and Jerry Rice. And all of them became great at their sports at young ages because they were like generalist and doing just very playful things at young ages before they really started like narrowing in. And the 30 for 30 about Bo Jackson you know, you know who Bo Jackson yeah. is? The, yeah. He was like the greatest athlete of all time, but then yeah. he had to like, his career was cut short. But like, I'm maybe they'll correct, someone will correct me, but he like never went to the weight room. He didn't do any of that stuff. The stories of him as a kid was like, he would just try to jump over cars and he would like stand in like two feet of water or three feet of water and try to learn how to do a backflip. And he would try to like skip stones and leap over fences. And then when he got older, he was like, out hunting and like carrying elk back home and like firing his bow fitting for his name um and 
And I just thought it was so amazing because I'm like, oh, he's doing all these like playful, creative, outside of the box things. And like, yeah, I can't tell you exactly how learning to do a backflip or carrying an elk home is going to like allow this man to like do some of these highlight real superhuman things exactly from a skill perspective Mm -hmm. but from an intelligence perspective from like that feeding his like intuition perspective i'm like that's that's that thing the immeasurable thing that starts to like make make everything you know more interesting i don't know i don't have a better way of saying it yeah yeah it seems like these lessons that you learn during the generalist that playful not training but movement they it almost prepares you mentally when you do finally come to that specific thing that you want to do like maybe like your brain has like opened up to all of these possibilities of movement but also like that problem solving that you were talking about before Mm -hmm. and then like when you come into specificity like your everything is so much more narrow Mm-hmm. And, but because you've, you've come in with like this bigger boundary of movement and thought, like you're able to tackle that specificity so much better. Yeah. It's like, you have like a wider base of perspective Yeah, and like, there's like these, I mean, no one can see it. I'm holding my arms out really wide. Like there's a span yeah. and like maybe the far end ranges, like you don't get to very much in your, in your, whatever you're specializing in, but like yeah. the stuff to the right and to the left, just a little bit, maybe even halfway down the span Like you'll get to that, like, even just for like moments, you know, it it, it could be so nuanced, like just your, your, the way your eyes move or or the way your head moves in certain situations, right? Like, like it's the things that are so, like I said, you can't put your hands on, but like, that is almost like the meat and potatoes. When we get caught up on like things like what's in like the NFL combine, like, you know, the 40 yard sprint or the bench press or like how high you jump. And it's like, well, those are cool, but like, there's that other stuff that's like not so specialized that like just gives you that wider base. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people have to come back to just realizing, like, just trust that it's going to make you better Mm -hmm. in the end. And it's going to be worth it. Yeah. If you kind of like step outside of your box. Yeah. I almost think it's like, there just needs to be like a, like a, maybe a, a, a cultural, like letting go of competence. Right. Mm-hmm. And a cultural welcoming of playfulness. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and like, like kind of like the, somewhere in there is this thing that like can benefit all these things, not just movement, but like probably like the bigger things in life as well. Yeah. You know, but like, you know, when I, when I hear you talk about kind of like the way you're kind of approaching things, like, I I don't know, I I hear that, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't hear you like trying to like win anything. It seems like the way you're kind of like going about it is like, Hey, like, you know, let's, let's see like what it is. Let's see what it is. And like kind of toy and tinker and play a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like the more that I have practiced this generalist approach that climbing, I have enjoyed climbing so much more. Like I was definitely, I was getting to a point in climbing that it wasn't 
fulfilling the things I think that it was before it it lost some of its meaning like why am I doing this like I just keep pushing harder and harder but I'm like hitting this wall and like there's uh, value attached to the the grades that you're climbing and by taking tape taking a step back from that and trying these other things and now coming back to climbing I feel so much more fulfilled mm. by climbing as well um so I I would attribute that to like my movement training and other things yeah, yeah. that's so that's so interesting it makes me want to go climb now yeah let's do it kyle <laughs> yeah i feel like uh yeah i don't know maybe seattle has to be another destination after this yes so yes. then right now like you're doing like mostly online teaching are you teaching classes are you teaching like private students like how what, are you are you working with like some any professional climbers or anything so right now my what i'm doing is mostly uh one-on-one -on -one coaching mm -hmm. online for climbers and i run courses a couple times a year for flexibility and i consult for the swedish climbing team as well so they're they're trying to make it into the olympics this next round um so i'm consulting for them um and i've got a couple other things kind of like working its way around and hopefully some like really cool things will happen soon um but yeah so like i would say like the courses is where i'm like really really excited like that's where all of my excitement is right now is getting a lot of folks into these flexibility courses and just having them realize like oh like like i would say like the flexibility training is kind of like this generalist approach because mm -hmm. it is it's like it's strength training you know and it's so cool to see them all go through the six weeks and they're like i had no idea that my body would be able to do the things that it could do mm -hmm. now after these six weeks. I'm like, oh my God, this is so great. So it fills me with a lot of excitement. So what do those courses look like? Like what are, what are kind of like the pillars of it? We are working on the front split, the side split and the bridge. So uh -huh. it is kind of like these like three measurements, like kind of like feats of range. Mm -hmm. um, and we use them as basically just like the measurements of progress every week. So they take photos um, and just make sure that they're making progress. Cause if they're not, then we would maybe change some things. Um, but yeah, they're, they're about like, it's like three days a week, mm -hmm. like 30, 40 minutes of flexibility training, mm -hmm. um, working towards these big three positions. Is it like um, all like loaded progressive stretching or is it, are you doing like passive stretching yeah so i was a hundred percent against passive stretching and even like certain types of like static holds even active positions um but now like with the some of the research that i've been doing and these methods that i've been trying that if you stack the passive and the active and the loaded in a certain way mm -hmm. that your range just increases so much faster than if you mm -hmm. were just doing loaded progressive stretching because when i was doing the loaded progressive stretching with ido like i felt like i was constantly getting tendonitis i don't mm -hmm. know why and uh i kept trying to manipulate it so that i wasn't overloading it 
I don't know, it just wasn't quite working. I just, my range just wasn't really changing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it was this little bit of like the passive stretching and some of the isometric stuff. I'm like, oh, this is like, my body really likes this mm -hmm. and it's allowing me to get into these bigger ranges. Mm. Yeah. So what is kind of like the, the, you know, without giving too much away, I guess, I'm curious, <laughs> like what, what is your, what, like, how do you kind of stack it? Yeah, so we normally start with some relaxed passive stretching in certain positions, just getting, so if we're doing a, like a front split protocol, we'll make sure that we're hitting the right um, joints. So like if, if it's the front split, we're trying to open up the hamstring and the hip flexor, that's kind of like the two main um, points that we're trying to hit. So we'll do some passive stretching for the hip joint and flexion and extension. And then we'll kind of go into strength exercises, which kind of look like normal strength exercises, like lunges and things like that. And then we'll go into the isometrics. So the loaded progressive stretching is actually kind of like flipped. We'll do passive stretching, loaded progressive stretching, and then at the end, we'll do these like big position isometrics, just like getting strong mm -hmm. in those end ranges. Because for climbing, like the ability to have your legs out wide and being able to like hold yourself, that's really, really important. Um, so you want to make sure that you're strong. So we do, we hold these isometrics for a while. What are, what are some of like the isometric holds? Like how long? Or like which oh, ones are, are they just like front split, middle split? Um, yeah, um, the one one is um, horse stance. Actually, yeah. horse yeah. is like amazing for side split. I remember I saw somebody uh, on American Ninja Warrior, and I know a lot of them are climbers. Yeah, who have been really successful, and I forget his name, but I feel like I saw him like two times get to the end where you're supposed to kind of like frog yourself up with like in being kind of a horse stance as yeah. you jump up with like the glass on the side. Yeah, and he couldn't hold himself in that position. And I was yes. tempted to like send him a message and be like, man, I think you should just like look into the horse stance. Yeah. <laughs> That's but it made me think, it made me think I was like, oh, I, you know, I felt like it must be a pretty common position in, in climbing or something similar to it. Yeah. It, mm -hmm. it there's, uh, there's different types of climbing. So like, uh, for the most part, like bouldering, you may need to do like the wide stance position rarely. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it still happens, but there are other types of climbing where you're on a rope and you'll be in these like almost like exactly like Ninja Warrior where your legs and your hands are up against the wall and you're kind of just like shimming yourself. Um, so it depends on what kind of climbing you, you're doing. But for the most part, I would say it, it's a, a common position to be in. Isn't it wild how common it is in like all athletics? Like yeah. you said, you played, you played basketball yeah. and you played tennis. Yeah. And like I would say that there's a version of the horse stance in yep. both of them. Right. Yes, 100%. And like, and then I feel like I mentioned baseball earlier and like almost in every single position, yes. there's some version of it. It's like, it's very, yes. I mean, it's like everywhere in athletics. Yeah. And mm -hmm. actually with like baseball and tennis, like you'd have to slide into the mm -hmm. splits as well, mm -hmm. you know, in order to get the ball or get the base or whatever, like you, there's some form of like extreme range of motion that you're sliding into. Mm, um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like people maybe don't see that. Like the, the flexibility component is like, Oh, I've heard it's bad for you. Like 
flexibility just makes you weak. Like, oh, does that mean I'm hypermobile? Like, no, just look at the top athletes. Like the mm -hmm. reason why they're so good is because they can get their body where they need it to be. Mm. Yeah. So the isometric holds are things like horse stance and what were the other ones? I cut you so, off. I'm sorry. No, all good. So we got horse stance for the side split for the front split. We're generally like, it's like a virgin version of the lunge. So it's just mm -hmm. like a long lunge. We hold that position. Um, and there are some other positions that you can work, but these are the ones that I like to use because they transfer over pretty easily to climbing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then for the bridge, the bridge is the hardest for most adults. I mean, talk about like even just looking backward and they get dizzy, you know, mm -hmm. it's like getting over that kind of like vertigo almost of being upside down. Um, so like the bridge is very challenging. And so that one is like, you know, some people start with the low, low bridge is what I call it, which is uh, kind of like when you're learning like the, the rotational rotate in a bridge Mm -hmm. um from in in movement um you're just like in this tiny little like bridge position and you're just trying to like push a little bit and you try to hold that for like three seconds five mm -hmm. seconds whatever you can do honestly um and even just with that like people see pretty big gains in their bridge by the end they're normally able to like push up into some some sort of bridge position so what places uh because you said that there was some like research you had done, like what were some yeah. of like the resources you were like digging into and like the people you were listening to who, who yeah. like influenced like this, this yes. approach. So um, Emmett Lewis, hundred mm -hmm. percent. So he like, he's known as like the splits wizard. Um, I came across his like head to toe protocol. Um, and like, he does a lot of handstand stuff too, but he has really been able to unlock like pretty fast, uh, flexibility gains. Mm -hmm. Um, so I tried his like head to toe protocol. It's intense. And I was sore for so long. Um, but that was very enlightening. Like I listened to as much as I could to like the stuff that he put out, um, Kit Lachlan. So he's in Australia. He did a, a lot of his research in from dancers, but his whole endeavor was how do I get flexible as an adult? And so like, that's where a lot of his stuff comes from. Um, and I would say like the, the passive stretching, that's kind of like where I saw the benefit was like, oh, he's actually doing some like really nice passive stretching. Um, and then he goes into kind of like these loaded positions, the isometrics. Um, and then I started listening to um, Lucas Aaron he is like his handle is range of strength um he i would say like has been my mentor like the last like six months um because he's a he's a power lifter he's the one who inspires me the most because he's such a big dude like so muscular so big he can like lift so much weight but he can do the splits and the bridge and i'm like and he got flexible as an adult um, so he has been mentoring me, you know, the last few months and it's been awesome. Um, and recently I just got my hands on, I think it's like the flexibility, no, the science and physiology of flexibility by David Bame. He's a doctor. Uh, he actually played football, I think in, 
and then decided like, hey, I really want to focus on flexibility. And so he has done a lot of the research on flexibility and like when to do passive stretching and when not to do it and uh, isometric holds and things like that. So like the research on flexibility is just kind of like, it's all over the place and they keep switching stances. Like every 10 years, they're like, let's switch this up. Like static stretching should no longer be in a warm up anymore. Okay, mm -hmm. so we're not gonna static stretch, we'll dynamic stretch in a warm up. Mm -hmm. um, so the research on flexibility is just like not where I wish it were <laughs> for mm -hmm. my own purposes. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, he like the resource that he has put together has been some of the best stuff that I've read so far. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's so fascinating. I mean, coming from a place where like I've done mild passive stretching, I did a lot for a long time, like loaded progressive stretching. Yeah. And now I don't do any, but I kind of explore my ranges through movement, which is like a kind of a, a whole nother approach. And also yeah. like asking the questions of like, for what I'm doing, like, what are the ranges I need? So yeah, yeah I'm super fascinated by like the research you've done because uh, like, as you're pointing out, there's just so many resources and so many people who have like spent time thinking about these things. And like, yeah. I'm sure that you start seeing like a lot of crossover too. And you're like, oh, here's like the overlapping ideas and philosophies, right? Yes. Yeah. And the key really is to load it up. Like static stretching is only going to get you so far. Static mm -hmm. stretching is like the gateway into like allowing your joints to open up, but it's not what's going to get you flexible. Like, yeah. It can for certain mm -hmm. people, but for most people, like the loaded stuff or the isometric stuff is really going to help. Well, my next step is to only do <laughs> the presidential physical fitness, oh, reach for the toes and measure. Yes. I'm going to do that <laughs> once every day and that'll be the only thing that I do. <laughs> I'll teach an entire workshop around that. It's going to be one hour building oh up God. to just one reach and push and then be like, yep. okay, good class. Thanks for yep. coming, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So do, so do yeah. you think that you'll, I mean, you've, you've written two books. I know that the first one you did on your own, right? Yeah. Simple and the second, Yeah. And the, and the second one you, you did with, with a co-author. Yeah. Maria Hines, uh, she is a James Beard Award winning chef. So mm -hmm. she's phenomenal at cooking and her recipes are kick ass. And yeah, we came together and wrote Peak Nutrition. Um, it's awesome. So like I wrote the nutrition science mm -hmm. and she did all of the amazing recipes. Do you think that then the what you're working on now and what you're talking about could culminate in a third book or is that something, am I like getting ahead of like something that you're already like having the works? Not yet. Um, yeah. but I am, I am working on simple strength 2.0. Okay. Yeah. So I think I'm going to kind of merge the stuff that I was talking about five years ago and with the stuff that I have now, because like, it's so funny when you write something down and you publish it, and then a couple of years later, you're like, I don't really believe that anymore. Or like my views have changed. Uh, it's a little scary. You're like, wow, there's this like thing out there yeah. that is saying this one thing, which I don't know if I align with anymore. And five years, like five, six years 
like I feel like I've learned so much and so much has changed. So I'm actually looking forward to like kind of updating Simple Strength yeah. to kind of like what I'm thinking about now and the things that I've learned now, which maybe in five years from now will also be different. But, but you know, that that's, that's like the thing is like, we're supposed to change yeah. and change is supposed to be awesome. And like yeah. change in every way, like our bodies are supposed to change. Um, and our points of view are supposed to change and, and our knowledge changes. And, and it's so funny because I think people end up like sticking with things that they like aren't into anymore or, or are not aligned with their values anymore because like, they're afraid of like coming across as a hypocrite. And they're like, oh, like, you know, I already said this one thing this other way. So like, I can't backtrack on that. But like, yeah. I admire you being like, oh yeah, like I wrote something and like some of it I am still aligned with. And some of it I'm like, oh, like I've grown and changed and like yeah. both are okay. Yeah. Isn't that yes. like, a, but it's a funny thing right now where like people don't feel like they, I think a lot of people don't feel like that they have the permission to change. Yeah. And it's also okay to be like, oh, this is what I used to believe in. And it's okay. Like now maybe like I was wrong and here's, <laughs> here's what I have discovered now. Yeah. And I think that maybe that takes a lot of courage. I don't know, but it, it does feel scary to yeah. say those things. Um, Did, have you, have you watched the Beastie Boys documentary? Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, you have to watch it. It's, it's kind of beautiful. It's like okay. really touching and it's like a, a live stage show with the two remaining members Yeah, and it's like telling their story and everything. I don't know. It's just, especially if you're like a Beastie Boys fan yes. and maybe just for anybody, but I'm like, it's, it's beautiful and nostalgic. And this is kind of an extreme example. And I've probably said this on here before, but at one point I forget which one they're interviewing or which one of them is talking. And I didn't know, but they, I think both of the remaining members became feminists, basically. They're like women's rights activists. And at some point, one of them was being interviewed by like Rolling Stone or something. I don't know what. And they were being interviewed. And someone's like, the uh, journalist was like, hey, well, you know, I find it really interesting that you're like, um, like a feminist now or a women's rights activist. And I find it's a little hypocritical coming from somebody who wrote a song called girls, you know? Yes. And I think he gave this like really poignant answer that I think fits all things related to change. This is just like a very serious topic, but he was like, well, I think I'd rather be a hypocrite than somebody who never changes. And I just was like, that's beautiful. Yes. Because I think that like everybody should have that permission. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like how tragic would it be that like you have this book that you wrote that is awesome. Like how many people have ever written a book? And, and I'm sure a lot of the things in there, you're just like, yeah, like this is still exactly what I think. And then, but then if you were to get to a point and be like, oh, I've developed a lot of other things and maybe some of them have changed from what I said before, but like, I'm not going to write another book because I'm like too afraid of like seeming like a hypocrite or seeming like my previous ideas weren't correct but it's like no but that's like that's living I don't know to me it's like beautiful to hear you say like oh yeah like some of my ideas have changed so yeah I'm I will do it again and I will like yeah. write a book the one thing that like one in 10 million people have the capacity to do <laughs> yeah. you know yeah oh thanks Kyle yeah yeah I mean I admire that I don't I just don't think enough people like own that stuff and they just like stay in in places that it, they've grown out of or changed from because they're afraid of seeming like a hypocrite or seeming like change is, is not, you know, what they should yeah. feel welcomed in their lives. 
yeah, I hope I never get to that point. Like, yeah. I just want to keep changing. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so like what, what is different? Like, what are some of the things that are in that first book that you're like, oh, like at the time that's where I was at and now you see it slightly differently? Yeah. I was a very technique oriented coach. I was like, you need to have really good technique in order to execute these moves. Mm -hmm. And so the way that I wrote the techniques down for the squat and the push-up, I was like, you have to have it like this. And I, I feel like maybe the way that I wrote it was like, you need to get it as close to this as possible. Otherwise it's not doing the thing. And so that would be like a huge component that I would change and be like, no, 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 no. Like every, everybody's different technique actually doesn't really matter as long as the end point is what we want, you know, like, are you hitting this end point? Um, so that I would say like, that is a pretty big, big one. Um, I, I have changed my views on technique quite a bit. And that was actually like a hard lesson for me to learn. I feel like I was how did you, how, like, what, like what, what kind of brought you to that? When you're talking about it being a lesson, like what are some of like the eye-opening things that occurred where you were like, oh, like I, dude, yeah, I was like, I was like a Stuart McGill like believer, like straight spine and like the deadlift, you know, like don't do like Jefferson curls, like what what are you doing to your spine, um, like always like lift with a straight spine, don't do crunches because that's bad for your back. Like I was definitely that person. Oh, like knees over toes. Don't ever fucking do that. Um, sorry, I'm swearing. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. I think I have it set up on Apple where it says that it's explicit, even though like someone curses like once every third episode, but it's oh like, my God. it's so known, sorry. it's known that it's explicit. Everybody knows it's the filthiest podcast <laughs> okay. on, on iTunes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was, I felt like when I started to make the turn of like well we were meant to move in very strange positions like if you're looking at it and i'm doing all this like movement training I'm like this is nothing like what i learned in school like what the hell and that was hard for me like to basically fight my ego on that and i'm like oh man like it's almost like i just felt like i was preaching this dogma that is not true I'm like, oh man. Right. It's but, a little bit of like accepting. I mean, I've I've gone through exactly what you've gone through. I should yeah. preface it with that. But it is also like, because I've had to like ex teach it and say something like, like the squat. Like if I were to do the squat perfectly and just say like, you know, these in CrossFit, they call it like points of performance or um, I forget like what you would call it in like a competition setting, like for like the whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, that these are just human inventions. These are human definitions that we've put on these things. And the problem is sometimes is we get caught up in the world of only working with the things that have words and definitions. And they're, those things fit in a box. And there's yeah. this whole space of things that don't have words and definitions that we also need to be able to navigate and maybe find where those things can collaborate with each other. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I've been, th I've yes. gone through exactly what you've gone through where it's like, 
I remember having a conversation with a power lifter and he was like telling me about his squat. And I was like, oh, like, do you train any other squats? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, well, you know, like the, the way we have defined a squat is just like something humans invented. And then I showed him like some contemporary dance videos of people going up and down in like all these different shapes and positions. I was like, oh, well, these are probably all squats as well. They're just like different. And it, it couldn't connect with like that kind of like very linear brain, like, you know, everything has to have a word. Um, yes. So sometimes I realize it's hard to communicate as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's easier to follow something that has some very clear definitions. It's like, oh, here's the question. Okay, here's the answer. Great. Like it's defined. It's easy for me to talk about. And if it doesn't fit into this box, then I don't know how to communicate that. And so, yeah, I I definitely had a hard time transitioning over one because I felt embarrassed and stupid and I was like fighting my ego. And then the other part was like also learning that I need to, yeah, basically teach myself new movement vocabulary and new words, Mm. you know, um, on how to communicate that. How do you, so how do you share this new approach? Like if you were to put it into words in like, in, into like a, 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 a new book. Oh my God. I would use less words interesting yes mm-hmm. my goal would be the least amount of words possible interesting to communicate these movements interesting yeah i think you there's a few things there's this book um do you know soichi who's in australia she teaches movement oh yeah yeah so mm-hmm. i had her on a little while ago and i oh, think cool. i mentioned this book to her but i think it's fitting for you but it's a book it's really about like improvisation and play and everything but it's called free play And uh, he says in there, this great line, he says, techniques are there for us to play with, not within, Mm. which I just think is so like on the money, you know? And I think about, again, like I chatted with um, this great jujitsu teacher on here and he was like, I'm probably going to, obviously I'm going to like butcher this and not say it as poetic as he said it, but it was something to the effect of like the art of jujitsu is not the techniques. It's everything that happens between the techniques. Mm. And I'm sure it's probably the same for climbing. There are certain climbing techniques, but the things that like make the climbing are all the things that happen in between the techniques. Yes. Um, So it's like, if that's the way, like our, the thing we're doing is and, and our, and how life is, It's like, well, as we're training for those things as well, it should have like those elements as well. Yeah, totally. Uh And I actually just thought about this. Like, I don't know if you've encountered this, but when I train people and if I don't tell them exactly the technique, they're like, well, wait, I want to know the right technique because I'm afraid to hurt myself. And I think that like our culture like fitness culture is so all about technique and like perfect movement and if you don't do that you're going to get injured Mm -hmm. like no it's not you're not going to get injured because of because of the technique that's not why you're going to get injured right because what, what might injure you potentially is if you're only doing perfect techniques in a perfect scenario yes in a in in a very temperate and flat space 
right? And then you go out into the random and uncertain crooked world. You're not prepared for the crookedness yes. because everything has been done, you know, with the perfect technique or like in the straightest of lines or meeting the perfect standards. Yep. When it's just like, that is, it's just not life. You know, there's like, I don't know, you know it from being on rocks for the last 10 years that like, yep. there are probably very few perfectly straight lines. Very few. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you I, fall, you fall a lot too. So uh -huh. you have to like prepare to land very badly. Yeah. Yeah. That plays at this thing. I'm, I, I feel like uh, I talk about it a lot is like how the, like the importance of falling and like kind of like always exposing ourselves to falling um, because we learn so much when we're like in that falling moment, but it's also this opportunity where it's like, when you watch somebody fall, it's like, that's when you really know who they are. Yeah. Right. Like when you yeah. see them in that fall, you're like, that's when you see like how much they intelligence they have. And I don't mean like mm -hmm. intelligence, like mm -hmm. jeopardy, but like how much intelligence is in their body when you mm -hmm. witness them in like a fall. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Yes. Like, I'm sure you see it in climbing a lot where it's like someone falling for the first time versus like climbers who fall constantly. There's just like a Absolutely. little bit of like, it's not just a comfort thing. It's also just like they have more information in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. I think the, that's one huge component that really stops climbers from excelling is this like fear of falling too. Mm. And if you can really train that falling technique and like the bad situations happening, preparing for the worst, basically. Um, I really think that that can help a lot of climbers overcome that mental barrier. So what do you do then? Do you just like put them up there and make them drop off? <laughs> just fall. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let go. Just let, let go. go. Hold on. No, go higher and yeah. then let go. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's like very, it's like, baby steps so many baby steps and actually we like uh when i was teaching groups back when i was working at the gym um we actually do quite a few like parkour moves just learning how to roll mm -hmm. like like being soft on the ground like absorbing um because mm -hmm. even if you're on a rope you have to learn how to absorb the force as you like basically swing into the wall mm -hmm. um and so if like you don't know how to do that and then all of a sudden you have a fall, man, that fall feels like you're just wrecking your body every time. Mm -hmm. um, but if you know how to like land softly, then it it's okay. And so like, that's really what we're working on is like that softness of the fall. Makes me think of um, just the other day, I think Fighting Monkey put up a little piece of one of Yosef's lectures. And he was talking a little bit about this idea of like how important that quality is of like your whole structure communicating in a really efficient way for things like landing and, and falling and things like that, like almost saying like, you know, this is a really important quality, like that, that harmony between the joints that like, that's what's going to really protect us. He was, I don't think he said, he's like, it doesn't mean you're not ever going to get injured, but like really respecting that understanding of like how the whole thing can be like rhythmic and together for these types of like, for, for, to impacts basically. Yeah. Oh, that's mm -hmm. really cool. Okay. Yeah, you should look it up. I thought it was really interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think two things. First, I think when COVID is kind of more under control, I think we should travel the country and teach 
at movement or excuse me at um climbing gyms and we'll like co-teach uh movement workshops i think that that would be super cool that'd be so sick you can sell your two books and i'll make a coloring book for people to buy (laughs) 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 um but i think that that would be super fun and we should like think about doing it because it'll be like who knows we'll go everywhere you i mean you're from australia we'll go to australia we'll like teach everywhere let's let's do it i think that would be a cool like weekend thing to do Yeah. yeah um two if people want to get in touch with you, yeah. train with you, learn from you, buy your books. What are like the best ways to like facilitate all of those things? Find me on Instagram. That's the best place right now. Uh, so my company name is Modus Athletica, M-O-D-U-S-A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-A. Um, so I'm on Instagram with that handle. Uh, find me on YouTube because I'm uh, every week now I'm making a new video. Um, so I call it just training tip Tuesday. And then, um, my website is modusathletica.com and you can find all of my stuff. Right what, what, what does modus mean? And it, it means like method mm-hmm. basically. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. I like so that. it's like the finding these different methods of being athletic. That was the first like idea of my name Mm -hmm. yeah and i i I might have missed it as you were talking did you say that people if they wanted people were interested in your books that they could get them to the website yeah okay yeah cool well listen we will talk unrecorded in the future to to plan our tour let's do it awesome and then uh who knows like i said maybe maybe seattle's uh one of the next stops here you should do it it come, means a lot. To, it means it means a lot to me that you did this. This is so fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Kyle. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I was just like, I don't know. The moment we turned this on and I like yeah. saw your face and heard your voice, I was like, oh, I'm so happy this is happening yeah. right now. I don't know. I just was <laughs> yes. like, you know, because like we met like four years ago, and I realized like, yes. I don't know, we're like kindred spirits. We I don't are. know. We had God. like, we spent so much time together at movement camps. Yeah, but I great. also just realized that like you and I were like, I don't know if you felt the same way, but it was like, even when we just met, we could almost like pick up a conversation in the middle as if we like knew each other. Yeah. And then when we hadn't seen each other for like four years, yes. like it was just like, it wasn't like a, Hey, how are you doing? It was just like, we're right back where we started. And like, I don't know, you don't have that with a lot of people. So like, I don't know. It's special to me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Me too, Kyle. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk soon. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye.